Howdy, and welcome to your dog's best life. This is Leanne, and once again, we have Maggie with us. Yay! So we have kidnapped her, and so now she can't ever leave. So anyway, today we're going to talk about something that's kind of currently near and dear to my heart, because I recently found out I have some problems with some of the training that I've put into my dogs. So when I was a horse trainer, I I, bro I started a lot of colts because I couldn't afford to buy horses that were actually good. So I'd buy horses off the racetrack and start them and then move them on. And then by the time they were getting good, I'd sell them and try to get enough money to buy a good horse. And one of the things you learn as you are starting horses, but also once you start working with other people's horses who have problems, is you quickly recognize that a lot of the problems that you're seeing in horses that are further along down the road really come from the start, the absolute start. It's not what happened yesterday, it's what happens when they were three years old. And that's the foundations. And the foundations are training is the least sexy part of the training. And so for many people, and myself very, very much included, I try to, I'm bad, I give them short shrift and I bolt past them and I tend to spend 10 seconds on them. And then I'm like, okay, let's do the cool stuff. Let's do the sexy stuff. So recently I had a couple of herding events with Cody and Tag, and I found out that there are some ginormous gaping holes in stuff that they should have known that they didn't know. So an example of that, without getting too deep into the weeding weeds, is directions. So Cody needs to know come by, which is clockwise, and away, which is counterclockwise, and she needs to know that in all contexts. However, when I was training Cody, the pr there were a couple of problems that came into it. The first was we did a lot of fetching for a very long time. That is when the dog is driving the sheep to me and I'm walking around like little Bo Peep. So the directions were always very simple for me. She was coming to my right or she's coming to my left. Well, when you're driving, she's moving to my left when she's coming by. So it was bass backwards. So there were a lot of mistakes quite a few mistakes were made where I would call the wrong flank and she would fix it for me either because my body language was telling her that I was wrong or the whole picture told her that I was wrong so because of that I accidentally allowed her to make choices about what direction because I was frequently wrong well I've gotten better and so what I needed her to do was something that was very not natural for her was to take a directional flank to 90 degrees from where the sheep were on a thatch. So she's bringing the sheep to me and I asked her to turn them sideways across the arena. And she's like, nope, you are wrong. <laughs> and so she treks the little sheep all the way up to my feet. And, and I'm, I'm very kind to her because that is not her problem. That is a, that I put that problem into her. I created that problem because the foundation, the basics, the right and left, the piece that I should have done, righty tighty, lefty loosey, kind of not there so much. So that got me obsessing. And then recently I had an issue with tag where apparently the word stay is synonymous with the word lie down. And so when I asked her to sit, stay, she would sit, I'd say stay, and she'd flop to her down. That's a foundation issue. It's not a tag being a bad dog issue. It's a human being a lazy, lazy person issue. So I went back. I bought somebody's book. I can't remember who. That's embarrassing. But 
I had a lot of foundation work in it. I really started focusing more on foundations. And now I'm hyper, hyper aware of foundations. So I think it's important to understand. Now, this is not just about hurting. It's not just about uh, advanced advanced behaviors. You need foundations for even the most basic training. So the most simple basic, the absolute bar none easy base, 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 base foundation behavior is taking food from your hand, right? And then exchanging food for performance. And uh, Ken, I think Ken Ramirez, we, I watched a, uh, something that he was doing, and he was talking about training exotics or animals that aren't normally used to being trained or, or dogs who are feral. And he says, until the dog or the animal will take treats from your hand and follow your hand with food in it, you're not ready to train. And yet there are, there are probably thousands upon thousands of dogs who either don't take food from the hand or won't follow a treat in hand and people are trying to get sits downs and stays and, and they're wondering why it won't happen. So I thought it'd be really fun to open up this conversation with Maggie because Maggie happens to have da, 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 a puppy. And Maggie is a much more careful trainer than I am and uh, a lot more detail oriented when it comes to her dogs. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of foundations she's putting on her little puppy. And she does a ton of behavior cases and talk about the foundations she does to start a puppy for performance and or live with because those are both important yes. <laughs> and 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 uh, what what she considers to be the foundations necessary for just starting a dog that she does a lot of work with rescues and a lot of work with dogs who are trying to find new homes but have some behavioral issues to get them out into the real world so they can go on and have a better life someplace else so go ahead, Maggie. Okay, awesome. Well, I guess I can start with my puppy. Yes. Um, so I have had cattle dogs. I have. I currently have a sighthound, and um, and it's been a long time. It's been mm-hmm. like eight or nine years since I've long had a puppy, time. Mm-hmm. and it was an easy puppy. It was um, Afghan puppy. Well, yeah, it wasn't she that easy. Yeah, he, he, he ate the walls. He ate the drywall. <laughs> <laughs> there was one. It was a rental. Yeah, you just called uh, a window. Not oh, a window. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, so yeah, I, I brought home my first border collie. Very, congratulations. Thank you. I, <laughs> I might have made a few mistakes in what I requested. I asked for the highest drive of a high drive litter. I said, I want the first that tugs, and I want this, <laughs> and I want that, and I got it. And then I regretted it. Um, and so I took a couple weeks off, and my primary focus was being able to truly live with this dog. Okay. I mean, at eight weeks old, he was a psycho. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I thought, aren't you supposed to be sleeping 20 hours a day? What is this? You don't sleep, you bite. <laughs> you don't sleep, you run around like a maniac. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely nutty. You know, you put him in the crate, he's screaming. You have him in a pen, he's screaming. He's outside of the, the pen, he's biting you. He's into everything. He's just a true psycho. Um, I don't know how you do it. You've got, I don't know how many. I have four. God. Four border collies and two Australian shepherds. Yep. So, so a lot of the early foundation was just learning to be in a home and what my expectations were. Okay. Um, so we started with crate work. Okay. And it wasn't, um, you know, I took two weeks off so I could really take my time with it. Mm -hmm. I had very specific goals for the crate. 
Okay. And that was, we love going in the crate. We're quiet in the crate. I work from home a majority of the time. Right. So I needed him to be able to hear talking and be comfortable with that. I needed to be in sight and him to be comfortable with it. And I needed him to be out of sight and be comfortable. So we started laying the foundation for that. Okay. Um, I kind of asked myself, um, you know, instead of reacting, which was actually really hard not to do, and I'm pretty patient, Mm -hmm. and it was really difficult. I had to ask myself in every situation, what would I rather hear? If I'm in the kitchen and he's jumping up on the counter, well, what what would I rather hear? And start to decide what I, I wanted. Okay. And then started to reward that. But obviously, you know, this dog had no, he had, he had some learning history, actually. The yeah. breeder was kind of kind of cool, but we, we really didn't have much. Yeah, I mean, she's a puppy. Um, and so really one of the first things that I taught um, was actually uh, treat magnet. And I forget who developed that treat magnet exercise. I wish I could remember whose game that is. Mm. I just know it from the, the agility folks. Okay. Um, well, basically, you, you teach, you know, following, uh, you know, first nose to the food lure, mm-hmm. and then moving a little bit with the food lure, and then just kind of staying glued to the food lure. I taught some really, you know, basic behaviors like being able to target something, okay. having to sit, and, and I think, gosh, it, I, I do spend a lot of time on foundations, mm-hmm. but there are some things that I rush to, like recalls. Oh, we all, well, you don't. You I, actually do a nice, solid I, recall foundation. Well, yeah, and I consider a recall a absolute foundational behavior. Oh, so, is. recall is what happens from the nanosecond they arrive on our property. Everything is about building saliency into the recall, yeah. and and I always I tell my students this. I don't formally train a recall ever on my dogs. I don't I don't set up the picture. Mm-hmm. I don't. Um, there, are, I always tell people, on, on, you can go to YouTube, there are 10,000 ways to train a recall. There's a restrained recall, which is a great way to get a really fast recall. There's paper plate recall. Um, that doesn't work with border collies because they tend to take the plate and think it's a disc and then they run around with it. <laughs> Tag, Tag illustrated that one for me. And uh, I use what's called a popcorn recall. I could, I don't know who I stole it from, but I did steal it. And, but there are all these different kinds, but I don't teach any of those to anybody but my students. I don't train them in my own dogs. My expectations from my puppies when they arrive is I'm going to walk around all over my property and they're going to follow me. And if they don't follow me, they're going to find out that they're stuck in the middle of nowhere and it's very worrisome for a puppy. (laughs) And so they just become very sticky to me. And then I make sure that recalls are very salient by, I don't call their name ever unless it's going to be really relevant to them. Yeah. Uh, so that's really important to me. And so if we're down at the stock and they're making bad choices, I never call them. I never use a recall to call them away from criminal behavior. I'm usually going to walk up to them, pick them up, or, or do something like that. I don't want to use a recall ever to pull them away from... And once they're older, yes, sure, what the hell. I have a, a long learning history. But a puppy, no. I'm never going to call a puppy off chewing the dead rodent. I'm going to walk over to them, usually tell them that's a really awesome rodent, but maybe you shouldn't chew it right here, you know. I, I really, that is a foundation behavior, and I do spend the time, because I live on a million acres, and I can't, can't have dogs not coming and call. Yeah. I mean, that's no. absolutely imperative, but I don't train it. I just make it really salient. If I leave the arena and 
and I cheat. I have, they always have dogs to mimic. You know, they always have other dogs. And it's like, everybody's leaving town. You better pack your bags because we're not coming back for you. <laughs> so there's, there's an urgency always built into the recall. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that's, but the rest of it, I'm really <sighs> lazy. So I have Briscoe and I've had him. He's a year old, a little over a year old now. And he, what did I do? So I did a recall. Duh. I did following behaviors. I always work on his following behaviors because I don't do leash work because mm -hmm. I don't have leashes. <laughs> Even in the dog's body when in town, he's almost never on a leash. Um, I bet in his whole life he's maybe walked a mile on a leash. He probably walked most of it yesterday. <laughs> that was yeah. probably the most he's ever walked on a leash. Uh, so a lot of it's following, following behaviors. And... But I'm being more careful with foundation works with him. So with him, I'm being a lot more careful with him fully understanding that sit is not down, down is not sit, stand, which is my personal Waterloo, is a stand, and that all those things are very different. So we're doing that on a platform, and we're being very specific, sit, down, stand. And I'm trying to break away from an over-reliance on hand signals because I'm notoriously sloppy with that. If you take video of me, you'll see me doing all sorts of jigs, and that's not going to work long-term. So, I, But I am much more cognizant now of the holes, especially in tags, the way I started tag on sheep mm -hmm. versus Briscoe. So as an example, I, you know... Every dog is a learning opportunity for the next dog. You know, every dog is a stepping stone to the next dog. And, and I started TAG three, three and a half years ago on stock. And I was pretty, still pretty new to it. Uh, she was only the third dog of my own that I started. And she, unlike the other two who I started, she came in like a fucking rocket, man. She was like all in. I'm going to eat sheep. She was fast. She was lightning. And all I had as a tool was blocking. I'm like, okay. And so I'm just upping the things that I'm using to block. And I'm, you know, pretty much using a rake. And she's like blasting through me. And she doesn't respect my personal space. And she's just like a freaking psychopath. And I think because of that early start, there was a lot of conflict and friction built into our relationship when it comes to stock that I've then spent the next three and a half years fixing. With Briscoe, Briscoe also, he's an Aussie, he came in like a bulldozer and he was really mouthy and he was climbing my stock and he was taking out, trying to get ears, which he tore an ear, there's blood everywhere and he tore a tail and that's not acceptable behavior ever. I mean, a little bit of gripping is fine, but you don't, you don't injure my stock. And with Tag, what I did is I put her away and 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 finally at 16 months, I'm like, we're going to start this dog before one of us dies in old age. And then we just had a fight over it every time. It's like, stop being my sheep, stop being my sheep. And she's bred to the nth degree. So it's not a situation of, of shitty breeding. It was a situation of shitty handling. And a puppy. She's a puppy. So with Briscoe, I kind of sat back and I thought, he was 11 months when I started him. And I thought, you know, why? Why make a fight out of this? Put a muzzle on him. This is so simple. Such a simple answer. And so I did. I popped a muzzle on him so that we only had one thing at a time to train. I trained him how to behave properly around sheep. He wore the muzzle for maybe a month. And we took it off. And he's beautiful. Yeah. Because now I took all the conflict out of it. Mm -hmm. And I kept that relationship solid. We did have one coming to Jesus moment. Because one of the things I'm also bad with, and again, this is a foundation that's hugely problematic for me, is in order to get my dog to stay out, they have to believe I'm the big bad wolf. 
And I'm like, I'm the big bad wolf. And for whatever reason, they don't believe me. And so it took a lot of convincing with Cody. It took a ton of convincing with Tag. It took, I mean, I want to say a year of work with Tag to get her to understand that if I say get out or my body language says get out, you probably should get out instead of just flipping me the bird and continuing on with your doing. With Briscoe, I saw the same thing happening. I saw the same pattern emerging where he'd start kind of pressing in on me and coming in on me on the stock and kind of leaning in on the inside shoulder. And I'm seeing this whole thing play out where we're going to spend a year fussing around with this thing because I'm being a total candy ass right now. And we did. We had a moment of come to Jesus. And I got after him. And I'm like, you better not do that. Oh, I am mean. And he's like, oh, God. But... Now, you know, so there was a moment of discomfort for him where he's like, oh, my God, I made all the mis- all the choices are bad. He's like, I'm going to just sit here and not move. And I'm like, you can walk. And so we had a couple minutes where he's like, I'm going to die. And then he's like, good. Now he's got it. Now, if I just say, uh-uh, that's enough. And he walks right out because he believes in the big bad wolf. But that was hard for me because I don't like being a big bad wolf. It's super hard. But that foundation has to be there. And that's the pieces that are missing in Cody and Tag that cause so much frustration when they're hurting. Well, and you know, it's easy in the pet dog world to to do this too, right? Like, mm-hmm. let, let's break it down. So we know sit, down, stand. These are foundation behaviors, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, and we do them on a platform so that they're um, more controlled, right? Mm-hmm. The stand, we're not moving forward. Right. That's really important. Let's say if we don't teach it on a platform... Or our mechanics are off. Like, we pull forward too much. We yeah. get too stacked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's not really a big deal. And it's easy to go, well, they're a puppy. Well, it's this. Well, it's that. Like, my puppy does the lazy puppy sit. Mm-hmm. He sits mm-hmm. on his side. Mm-hmm. Now, do I care? Right. I mean, and if I were to show obedience, I mean, what do you, what would the point deduction be for the sloppy sit? Anything? In real obedience, it'd probably be a half point or yeah. so. Yeah. So at every cares? sit. Well, but where, here's where it matters. Well, and it gets it gets you out of position. Yes, that's where the sloppy. If he does yep. a rock back sit versus mm-hmm. a tuck sit, right? That's out of position. That's a point. Now you've lost a point every time he sits. Okay, so I lose a point. But then where does this go? Where does this really bite me in the ass later? And I can tell you mm-hmm. from our um, our sit to stand, from a sit pretty. I oh, recently, yeah, you can't. I I recently <laughs> actually was was playing with this, and I realized, oh, I fucked myself i mean i've now started to really try to clean up the sit yeah but i've got this side Mm -hmm. and then i I try to bring the treat up and i have a toppled over puppy yeah i tried doing that with a puppy who because i I had an owner who she's like oh i'd like to treat train us a sit pretty and the puppy was about nine months old and we it was it was one of those things where as a foundation if if the dog is into performance at all, I'm going to start talking tuck sit right away. Get a nice, clean tuck sit. Make it clean. This is a pet dog owner. I didn't care. Why do mm-hmm. I care? And it's a little mixy breed. So she sits like a little drunkard, right? Mm-hmm. little tiny thing. Well, now her mom wants to sit pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she can't. Yeah. She's got this roly-poly bottom. She yeah. has no abdominal muscles because she never used them for a tuck sit. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. now we have to go back. That's right. And do all the foundations for a tuck sit. And her mom's like, well, I don't understand why. And I'm like, look, it's because she doesn't have the foundation. Yeah. We never put it here because we never knew that this is what you wanted. Because you're a pet dog owner. I honestly, you never brought up that you wanted this. And so I never considered it. It was never on the table. And it's no big deal. I'll just go back as a young dog. But had I put the foundation from the beginning? Now, 
if I'd put the foundations in the beginning, would the owner have wanted to do the work? Probably not, because they wouldn't have seen the point. Yep. Because why would I explain to them, well, in the future, if you ever wanted to show your dog or you ever want to sit pretty, that sounds kind of silly. It does. So I get it, you know, but now this owner has learned the necessity of that foundation work. And the next time she has a dog, she'll probably say, oh, I need to train a nice, clean sit because I do like sit pretty. Yeah. You know, another foundation exercise for a young dog or really any new dog, like a rescue or, you know, anything, is names, right? Mm -hmm. And for a couple of reasons. One, yes, they know their name, but we want a trained response from them. We want them to be able to turn every time. Mm -hmm. But also to safeguard when you're an asshat. Because I don't know, you know, and I'm, I am a positive trainer. Right. I, I am basically fear-free. Right. I do everything in my power to, you know, to follow those principles. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I am not past, you know, damn, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, it, it just, you just can't not. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, and it may not even be that. It may just be like, Dill, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Ralph. Oh, my God. My poor <laughs> Afghan. I'm like, Ralph. Ralph, Ralph, Ralph. That's the only way he hears his right. name. Yeah, I um, now, am I going to get him to turn it out? You know, mm. now I've damaged that. Mm-hmm. And now, and I'm, I'm conscious of this. Mm-hmm. I constantly, in my back of my mind, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to correct anybody. I don't even use like a, like a no reward marker. Right, right. I try not to use no. I don't, mm-hmm. use, uh-uh. you know, I, I don't even use any of this shit. Right. And I, but I do. Right, because that's that's how we communicate with each other. Well, exactly. It's just I cannot help it, and I can't expect somebody else to do it. But I no. can't expect them to be aware, and I can't expect them to make a mistake. <laughs> and so I need a safeguard for that, so right. that the majority of the time. So even if I am an asshat and I say my puppy's name in an inappropriate way, right, my puppy goes, "Oh, right. great!" You know, even if it wasn't so great, right. Um, and so name is a foundation exercise to spend a lot of time on and don't use it for the first couple weeks unless we're using it paired with something fun. Right. Again, it's that saliency. Well, because I, I am really bad about that because it's a, again, at distance with a herding dog. If their, if their brain is spinning out of control, and they've got a squirrel orgy going on in their brain, and they can't think, and they're making bad choices, the thing that gets them out of that is their name. But it's not a happy, fluffy, Tank, you're doing such a great job hanging off that sheep's ear. What you're using is an interrupter. I'm using it to get her bloody attention and tell her to knock her shit off. Right. So it is always going to be a, Tag, knock that off! You know, and she knows that. Right. Um, well, a name is always an interrupter. Whether it's, it's a yeah, positive it totally, or it's a punishment. Yeah, it's she, it, meant to be it, an interrupter. It gets in her head right away. And I, so the way I teach names at my house, again, see, I, like, I love talking to you because you actually train this stuff and I just let it happen by background noise because I'm lazy. So the way my dogs, the way I, I train my dog's name <laughs> is I have all these dogs and I have doorways and I have two doorways and they're both indoor doorways. And my rule is... Unless you hear your name, you don't cross the threshold. So that's a great way. I have a little dog right now outside calling to us like she's like she's the Hound of the Baskervilles. I'm dying laughing. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> she looks so pathetic. Uh, it's all a lie. She's just going to come in here and bounce off our heads and be an asshole. So 
Anyway, all of my dogs learn their name, A, because I say their names a lot, and, you know, Fluffy, and I use the their name for me is also a recall, you know, tag, 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 that's her recall. If I said Cody, Cody, she'd jump up. If you're in a multi-dog household, you I have, use that to yes, identify. Yes. And yeah. and my dogs are also opportunists, so if they hear anybody's name, they assume that that dog is the chosen dog, and they're yeah. going to come and get food because they know there's food. Yeah, and I'd say the doorway ex- uh, exercise is not a foundation exercise. It would be name, treat, name, treat, teaching the turn. Mm-hmm. To the name, and then this is the more advanced exercise. Yeah, and I start there. Yep, and you start there because I don't, because <laughs> I don't do the training. So, so we, I open the door and I body block, and then I say your dog, your name, and you get to come in and have food, or you get to go outside and have fun. And I don't think it would be. I think it'd be more solid. Oh, of course. Have you started? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I'm not going to. I know. It's okay. <laughs> because it's just too much work. Um, <laughs> the, but that is. So that is how, and again, I use their name as a recall. Mm-hmm. You know, as I'm walking away and I have the new puppy and the puppy's dithering around and eating cow poop or whatever, distracted and not paying attention to the rest of us leaving, I'm like, Briska, puppy pop. And he's like, oh, 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 you're leaving. And he, then he comes bolting after. So for my dogs, if I yell their names, that is their, that is their recall. I don't have a hear or come or any of that. It's just their name or assholes or dogs or <laughs> they come to all of it because any of it could be usually it's i drop food on the floor or, you know you saw cody she's just the biggest suck up mooch on the planet so anyway so that that i do consider a, a really important foundation to have a name but again for me that's a recall mm-hmm. so well and you well you could it, it can be because right they have to check in mm-hmm. so if they're 20 feet away so for me i just teach a turn but if you're 20 feet away and you're out of sight, or maybe not 20 feet away, for you it would be like know, <laughs> half a mile down the road, you said they, and they need to check in. They're mm-hmm. going to need to get close enough to check in to go, okay, yeah? Yeah. What's up? Yeah, and my recall outside is very fuzzy. I don't have the fancy comb. It's not a front. It's not even within a hand's breadth. It is a directional change. Yeah, it's a correctional. You're going the same direction as me. Or coming in the door, mm-hmm. or things mm-hmm. like that. So I it think is that's a very the majority of most most pet dog owners. Yeah, right? it's a most very dog fuzzy. In general. Yeah, it's a very fuzzy term, but it means always orient and come towards me. Yeah, whatever that might be. Okay, so what else are you doing with Dill? Okay, so uh, pivot work. So I have not rushed into heel. Let's huddle, loose leash, walk. Okay, that's my loosey goosey thing. There's, you know, it's kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. I do have some uh, a rule set around it, and I've kind of have helped paint a picture for that for the puppies. Okay. But I, I want a really nice deal. I want to do canine freestyle. I want it to look beautiful. I want him to be engaged. I want a specific position, and I want him to maintain that position in lateral movement and backward and forward. Okay. So, you know, we're doing a lot of pivots. Yeah, because he's going to have to go, he's going to be here on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And we taught both sides to him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he's five months old, and I think I've taken a mini step in the heel position. I haven't actually walked in the heel position yet. Yeah, I didn't on Briscoe. I haven't started. I didn't start his. So it's kind of interesting. And we train it every day. You train the heel, heel the yeah. position, but the not position. the step. That's right. Right. So with Briscoe, and again, I rush. Uh, but with Briscoe, we didn't really start heel work, I think, until he was eight. We farted around with it. We did some pivot work. We did position mm-hmm. up against the wall. Yeah. And a lot of position stuff, and maybe a step, 
but we didn't really start with it until he's probably eight months old. Now that's different from tag. So when I started tag, I was really concerned because I'd see dogs come out here who had all this obedience on them and they couldn't let go of their owners to hurt. And so my fear with tag was, oh my God, if I put all this attention on me behavior onto this puppy, then she's had a year of practicing hyper focused on me. And then when I go to her, she's not going to let go and hurt. With Briscoe, I recognize that a well-bred dog is going to do it. And well, there's I, environmental context there. Yeah. Well, yeah. the other thing is, is I don't spend that much time. I don't have a watch me cue. I don't, you know, there's not, other than heel, there's nothing else that's super attention-y. And he has all this independence that he's also got. You know, he's doing scatter feeding. And so he, my dogs orient on me under context and then disorient, you know, disorient. <laughs> They're disoriented the rest of the time. And uh, so... With Briscoe, I did tag. I didn't start until she was 17 months old because she had to be on stock first and it took forever. Mm-hmm. Briscoe, I started closer to eight months and we changed it. We different, did a different technique with him, but that is, that is an important foundation skill yeah. for him. But I'm not in a hurry because I, I know how long it takes. So I've made mistakes with tag. I think Matilda's slightly better, even though she's a savage feral beast. And Briscoe's going to be hopefully the better of all three because he has the advantage of three and a half years more experience and the advantage of not being insane. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, eye contact actually is one of those ones where I didn't used to build it in as a foundation exercise, mm-hmm. and now I do. And it's more than just like a watch me. Right. I am, so one of my, um, I call him my my disc guru, Ron Watson. Okay. He says, oh my God, he's hilarious. He, calls, he says, eye contact is the gateway drug. Okay. So what he does is eye contact is required for anything. Okay. So eye contact can equal action. So you get to make eye contact. Now we get to train. Okay. So you, you're, you're checking in. So, and now I do, I mean, for, for, for even my loose leash walk, I reward every single offer check-in okay. inside the house. Every single offer check-in. So I have a, a question for you on that one. So yeah. I, I do, so I kind of do the same thing Yeah. with student dogs I think a little more than my dogs but I do I, so my I stand still I don't use a cue you look at me that's my cue that you're ready to work that is I wait for you to usually I want them to get into heel position and look at me so I, okay. I present the picture of are we going to work not sheep obviously uh, and I don't expect my herding dogs to break eye contact with sheep especially mm-hmm. brick and border collies Briscoe I ask for a sit and he gives me a sit with attention because he's a puppy and he's an Aussie he's a different breed but when I'm ready, when I want to work, I'm going to present the picture of ready to work. And my expectation is that you're going to sit and heal and you're going to give me attention. That is my expectation. And I'm not going to ask for it. You're going to give it to me. And that is my cue that you are prepared to do your thing. With, I, t- I use the quote unquote choose to heal method, mm-hmm. which I'm going to first use a disclaimer. I don't know who invented it, so I can't give any credit. And I don't know. I didn't learn it from whomever that was. I learned it 15 pant. So what I'm describing, somebody who's an expert would be like, that's not choose to heal. So I'm using it as I've created it, as it is. But it's, it's stolen, but I, it's not probably stolen properly. So anyway, I use a loose version of choose to heal as the way to teach my students, to get my students started on, on loose leash walking. Mm-hmm. And my concern with that is, and you can tell me, is I don't want my loose leash walk to turn into a heel. Like, so if you, every time you pay your puppy on a loose leash walk to look at you is there the danger that you're going to have 
a de facto heel on a walk. And then you're going to have lots of check-ins. So we, that's what actually okay. we don't even teach in the shelter environment. Okay. We don't teach a walk. We don't teach a heel because you can't. Right. They're too stressed. No, they're too freaked That's out. too much pressure. Yeah. I mean, why would you ever do that? Yeah. We just treat every single turn. Okay. Yeah. They're out in front. They're doing whatever they turn. And so it doesn't, a, position doesn't matter. It's the eyes. It's just eyes. Uh, and it's okay. the same thing for around the house. Okay. Now, what you do run into is a dog who's always working. Well, and, that, and that's that's a bigger thing for the border collies, especially. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's not going to be a big deal for a pet dog owner, right? Um, but you need some kind of release. Yeah. Okay. That means you're you know off the hook. You're off the hook. Yeah, a release like that'll do. Yeah. Whatever. Some okay. kind of dismissal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, but I would think that those are very limited situations. Yeah, and those are breed specific. If you yeah. own a Malinois, you bloody better know that before you get yeah. in that yeah. you need an off switch. Yeah. So, but otherwise, yeah, eye contact. Before everything. Well, and speaking of off switches, yeah, <laughs> that might be a relevant thing to start with certain breeds. Yeah, certain types of dogs. One of the foundations is to learn to do nothing. Yeah, that's that was the primary, you know, rewarding good behavior and teaching an off switch. Yeah, is really just you know teaching calm behavior mm -hmm. is really tough, and we're getting there. It's much much better. But yeah, laying that foundation is so important. And I don't think I would be alive today, <laughs> three months into this process with my five-month-old puppy, had I not started that. Yeah. I can't imagine what he would be like. He was such a terror. Yeah. And he's so much better now. No, and he's, he's fantastic. so much easier he's super to live fun. with. Yeah. He's, he's so much fun. Yeah. And honestly, I, I think the first couple of weeks, it wasn't so bad. I was, I was like on this puppy high. And then that went away, <laughs> and I thought, what have I done? And I, and I love to train. I mean, you right. know that. Yeah, I, yeah. I'll train well, yeah. anything. Yeah, I'll clearly. train chickens. I like to train rats. Yeah. I just love to train. Mm -hmm. And then it was getting to a point where I didn't like to train him. Really? And he's only months old. Yeah. <laughs> and you're I like, just, it was not And you're looking fun. down the barrel of 15 years of this puppy. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, this is this is chaotic. You know, he gets yeah. so over-aroused that he yeah. just start biting. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like, oh puppy biting you know it's like punctures and rips it was frustration biting yeah frustration yeah Absolutely. it was frustration and yeah. that and and you, you know couldn't do, and that was one of the things we taught too is dealing with that is, processing that teaching coping mechanisms and strategies to deal with frustration right. so that was a foundation behavior yeah and i think that has to be a foundation behavior for a lot a lot of these dogs some you know just like humans you know, some humans, it's great. The best way to find out kind of where your frustration is, I always tell people I love this because frustration is such a powerful emotion. And people, I think, underestimate its power. But the example I always use is first, according to, uh, is it Jock, Jack, Pansep, 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 the guy who did the seven blue ribbon emotions, Pansep, Jack, I think. According to him, frustration is on the rage continuum. So if you were to stimulate the part of your brain that is the rage part of your brain, if you go down the continuum, you hit frustration. So frustration is a, it's hand in glove with rage. And, and the way I always describe it to my students is imagine you're in traffic and you are stuck behind a car who's going 20 miles from the speed limit. And you're under, you have, you're in a rush. You have to get home. You have to get home, or you have to go to work. And you're late, and you're late, and you're late, and you hate being late. And the guy in front of you is, and you're stuck in traffic. You can't get around this person. They're going 20 miles below the speed limit. Their left turn signals on. 
The bumper stickers don't align with yours politically. Imagine that feeling, right? You, you're thinking, honestly, you're like, murder really shouldn't be illegal, right? I mean, you are, you're insane. You are, you are batshit crazy. And you are a thinking animal that could theoretically conceptualize, well, I'm angry at this guy because he has the wrong bumper stickers and because he goes the speed limit and I'm not. I mean, so, so if you can think of the frustration and how that builds to rage, I mean, there's a reason we have road rage. Think of how that must feel, you know, and we see it in little kids all the time when they're throwing tamper tantrums, that's all frustration. They don't, they can't communicate, they're frustrated, they're upset, they're tired. And building that inoculation into different dogs. And we know that humans, you have a continuum. You have people, I'm very, actually, I have a very, uh, unless I'm opening one of those clam shell packages, those plastic demonic packages that yeah. take an ax and a blowtorch to get into, unless it's that particular situation, my frustration is pretty low. I, I'm, I'm cool being tra stuck in traffic. I'm fine being stuck in slow lines. But there are people, you know, the people, person behind me is like, you know, that's a person who's not really been inoculated against frustration. It's like, dude, you, you're in the same fucking line. Yeah. That emotion that you're feeling isn't going to get better. Yeah. But don't tell a person like that, dude, relax. I tell that to my husband, it doesn't work. So teaching an animal, whether that animal be two-legged or four, how to cope with frustration and, and as part of that, to deal with kind of deceleration and relaxation, because all those are part and parcel of the same, it's all the same picture. Yeah, and this isn't just for working breeds. No. Think about how many dogs yeah. have, are frustrated greeters. Yes, you know, golden retrievers, happy, doofy yeah. golden retrievers. That goofy, doofy pit bull who's meted every, met every person and now is like derpy and wants to do the thing. Um, dogs who are being denied very basic foundational, you know, body, uh, things that would express their, their instincts. You know, the livestock guardian dog who can't do the thing, so he barks all night. So, so I think we should spend a little bit of time maybe kind of talking about how you worked with building calm, building deceleration, and building frustration inoculation. Because I think people like to throw those terms out. I mean, if you listen to podcasts, they're like, oh yeah, I did this. and But no one freaking tells you what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, Oh, well, just do a just do a relaxation protocol. Well, thank you, Mr. doesn't help at all. <laughs> what does well, that look, look like? That's going to look different for every dog well, exactly. and every household too. Yeah. So it kind of goes back to, okay, what do I want in this situation? Right. So that's our first thing. Right. Is asking ourselves that. Mm -hmm. And then coming up with the training plan for it. So I'll talk a little bit about kind of installing the off switch. Okay. And some of the things that I've done and some of the problems that I've run into. Okay. So a really common way that people like to approach installing an off switch is that we will with a low value treat you're not using like you know hot dogs to train this you're using right. boring kibble right right and you're not using a marker so that's a really important aspect you're not saying too. yes yes because yeah. <laughs> that doesn't help you're not relax clicking things. yeah because then again you're kind of turning this into a working space but you're waiting for a dog to offer this behavior okay. and then you're rewarding it okay so um, this is a really common way that we do that, mm -hmm. right? Cap just capturing so the behavior. Is, yeah, so this is what I would have my, most of my clients do, mm -hmm. right? We wait and we look for these, these calming signals. We can even offer them ourselves. So maybe we yawn and they yawn 
happen. Uh, we reward that. We do some soft blinking, and they kind of relax a little. Mm -hmm. Maybe we do a longer walk, and our dog relaxes after that, and we reward that. Maybe our dog is starting to settle in for a nap, or they're chewing on a chew, and they're really relaxed, and we reward that. Um, so, and, and that can be really effective. Mm -hmm. And we can even put that on cue if we wanted. So okay. we could call that settle, right? for example. And then we've paired these feelings with this word, and now we can we can ask for it if we need it. Um, my dog didn't offer any of those things, <laughs> and in fact, I waited. I thought eventually he's going to settle. <laughs> and what ended up happening is he started rampaging around the house, jumping off everything, and slamming himself into walls at the fifth hour of me going, "I'll just wait. I've done exercise. I've done this. I've done everything right. All of his needs have been met." Mm -hmm. And he was going to injure himself. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I couldn't even catch him. I'm trying to catch him, and then he's slamming it. Oh, it was a nightmare. And so I had to, so I had to condition calm with asking for it. We made it a working space, uh -huh. and then I had to. So this is my strategy for my working. So the, normally the other strategy works really well. Just you capturing. You can do mat work. So that's right. some of the other stuff that you can do. You can have the dog on the mat. It's just very simple. Where we, you know, you you would. Maybe wait till the dog lays on the mat, or you could lure the dog on the mat and retreat every few steps. And the dog gets up, that's fine. You know, we're not going to cue on the mat. We'll wait because it pays to be on the mat. We'll mm -hmm. wait for that. And again, rewarding some of those things. Again, my dog just didn't do this. And so I did a couple of things. So one thing that you actually suggested. So I called Leanne actually. I said, "What do I do? Uh -huh. I can't. I can't get calm." And you suggested every time you sit, that will be an environmental cue for laying down. Yeah. Because if you're sitting, you're not working the dog. Right. So the context is you need to be laying down. And it doesn't mean that you're laying down and... Oh, we've got a vulture. We, no, it, it, we have a raven. Oh, a raven. We have, we have a raven. We have a raven Sorry. attack. And this podcast has been interrupted by a raven. <laughs> a raven attack. Yep. But thankfully, the dogs, both inside and out, have fended off the raven. And we are all safe from a raven attack. <laughs> Mark safe from the attack of the raven. <laughs> So that was a bark. Carry on. <laughs> so, you know, and it makes sense. You know, and normally I would never recommend that to anybody. Yeah. I just, it never would ever even occur to me. It seemed like way structured. Like, oh my God, every time I sit, the dog just has to lay there. And it's not From like, somebody who's the least structured dog trainer you've ever met. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. And I am. I mean, that's talking, my house is like Fort Knox. I've got gates everywhere. It's just like nuts. Yeah, my house is just like free for all, dogs chasing <laughs> Frickin' ravens off the deck. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, so that worked really well. Yeah. And he knew, and I started to see the settle. At first it was working. I mean, you could see his eyes bugging out of his skull. I'm doing like the I, thing, I'm doing the thing, I'm doing the thing. I'm down, I'm down, I'm down. But then it's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to be here for like, you know, she's looking at her phone. She's watching TV. <laughs> she's just laying down. Yeah, and it's not like I was correct. I mean, if he got up. I just waited till he came back to sit or yeah. sit down. You know, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't cueing it. I was, I didn't no, want it. No, it should be automatic. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I wasn't cueing it. I was just waiting. I knew it paid well. Yeah. And he wanted to get paid, you know. And so, and, and I will throw in here, I, I wasn't doing nothing in life is free, but I was doing a modified version of that where I was using his food. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I could be able to do this throughout the day. Because this couldn't be just like a one and done. No, I you have this is day. this is a lifetime, and I, and I do think that that is a very different thing than nothing in life for free. It's a very mm -hmm. it's just simply using his food throughout the day. Yep, yep. 
I mean, everything else is free. I mean, because I, I, I don't do nothing in life is free. I've never done it. But I do tell people to use yeah. the dog's kibble. Yeah. And, you know, usually I'll just tell them, you know. Cut the meal down a little. Put the meal. Yeah. Well, I just tell Cut them, down. take a scoop in the morning, yeah. put it in the bowl, use the bowl throughout the day, and then what's left, hand the dog. Because I also, I, now this is just me. I do always feed my dogs a little bit out of the bowl. Yeah, I do too. I, I feel it's not fair, and maybe I'm wrong. Oh, we're about to have another original cow. But it looks like we went over. Oh, there goes Briscoe. <laughs> They're on the hunt. So anyway, I do, I do tell people to just take a scoop out and, and use it throughout the day. Just because that way their dogs don't get obese and... But I do like to feed that little bit at the end because I don't think they should work for every single kibble. I think that's a little unfair. And I want them to have that settling, that psychological settling. You're off the clock. Here's your reward for just breathing. Yeah. And, you know, I'll do it where it's during a structured meal time. Yeah. So we're taking out most of that. But there's this in the morning and the, you know, or whatever your, your feeding schedule is. Mm -hmm. So there's no deviation from that. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that way it's still the same routine. Yeah. You're not adding an additional stressor. Right, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, so that was super, super helpful, and I started to see the settle. And then I could follow that method where, okay, now I can lower it into actual calm. And that started to happen. So, so that was like a major, major, major breakthrough. difference. Yeah, yeah it was, that was huge. And um, for coping mechanisms, it was uh, for, for um, you know, frustration. Frustration, not failure. Yeah, little things. Like impulse control exercises, waiting for a, bowl, uh, a toy, or um, I was doing a lot of platform switches. We go from two paws to four paws to two paws, and, and just dealing with because it's actually quite frustrating. I learned right away uh, <laughs> from the border collie, not from any other breed, <laughs> but if your criteria isn't clear, oh yeah, you get really mad. Yes, yeah, and so we learned to deal with that. Because yes. the criteria wasn't just one thing. We're doing, it was similar, but it was different. And they increased frustration. And so we practiced having a little bit of that at the time and making it really fun. Yeah. So little exercises where we had this, I mean, it, it was kind of, um, you know, like, like what we might do, you know, with, with a fear behavior. Mm -hmm. Just uh, systematically. Kind of desensitizing. Desensitizing with a little, little bit of stressor. You know, and, and I will say that I didn't need to create one because my, tra well, my training oh, caused training. the stressor because some, you know, I, I make mistakes. I may not have quite, you know, clear criteria and teaching him to kind of deal with that. Yeah. So, oh, there's my puppy. Let's see if he's, we'll see if he stops. If not, we'll pause it and let him out. Okay. So anyway, yeah, I mean, I think that is super important to especially when we start dealing with a lot of people struggle with frustration in their dogs. A perfect example of this is, is frustration barking. A lot of folks struggle with, even with low, not even really high, high drive dogs. They deal with dogs who just stand there and demand barking. You know, they, they want their dinner or they want, and, and that's a, that's a, a communication of frustration. You know, you're not acting fast enough. Why is taking my dinner so long? Why aren't you being clear in what you want? Uh, obviously, the other thing that, that frustration feeds into is, is arousal issues. You know, a lot of these dogs, if they arouse up, if they're frustrated, they seem like they're manic and crazed. And 
then the more that causes more frustration on the owner's part and they get more upset and freaked out and then it just spirals out of control until the dog and the owner are both these like freaking frazzled messes and they're both like batshit crazy uh so that i think training things that help with that frustration it, it can be really really powerful the other thing so i'm doing a foundations class right now which is exactly why i'm doing this because like i said i had some issues with Tag and Cody, but for those of all, you know, for all of you who don't do herding dogs, I don't, I don't know anybody who doesn't do herding dogs, but let's assume that somehow people don't herd their dogs. The other thing I'm really seeing in a different sport, which is Shutsun, but it feeds into everything else in life, is the inability of a dog to release themselves from the reward to continue to work for the human. So whether the reward on like the Shutsun field is the the decoy in the bite suit, right? And the dog being able to break away from that because that's an awesome, awesome reward sitting out there being super awesome and still work for the person with the, on the other, on the other end of the leash or off leash is usually the case. Or the, the dog who's walking down the street and sees a squirrel. It's the same, it's the same picture for the dog uh, with a little bit of a tweak and we'll talk about it in a second. So my big go-to for that now, this is a new thing I've added to my training that I just feel will, I'm, I'm thinking of Matilda in this situation. Matilda really struggles with breaking away from the object of her desires to a different object of my desires, the thing I want to give her. She struggles with that. And as we get deeper into bite work and, and protection work, she's going to get worse as the value raises for the, the guy in the suit. And because I'm not going to be a big tool user, I'm not going to go and grab a prong collar and e-collar to break her away. I need another, another skill set. So we started impl implementing Leslie McDevitt, I believe is who came up with it, her Zen bowl, which is a, literally a bowl of food. And you, the dog is available, it's a reward, and it sits out, and you very carefully, systematically train the dog that to receive the reward, they have to effectively look away from the reward. It's the same thing as, it's kind of like It's Your Choice by Susan Garrett, only instead of your hands, it's a bowl. And we're doing it with a toy. So right now we're starting off with a very simple criteria, which is can I put the toy on the floor and you not maul it? But from there it will be, I'm putting the toy on the, on the floor and I'm sending it to you, or sending you to it, and then that will go to, I'm sending the toy setting the toy on the floor can you look at me then i will send it to you send you to it and also we're going to use it as a target for send outs and things like that so it serves double duty but again that's a great tool if you're doing walking down the street and the the dog is seeing garbage on the floor ground that they want to pick up they look at you and you say let's here's your food right here here's reward in my hand let's keep moving past that and so i'm a, i'm really becoming a big fan of the zen bowl that's that's my new passion is training that because i think it's going to be so powerful for especially matilda with breaking away from the decoy because she just she has some attention problems you haven't noticed have you <laughs> So that's, that's a big foundation for me. And the other thing we were both talking about was for pet dog owners it is really important is just cleaning up your own, your own body language to clarify for your dog 
the cues. And by that, I mean, I, I'm really, and I'm notorious for this. I mean, you go to any video on Empire Ridge Ranch and you watch me and you're like, oh my God, she's a mess. Cause I'm doing hand signals and I'm doing body cues and I'm doing verbal cues. And it's just this big mishmash. And the problem with that is that that's how I always present it in the absence of the rest of the fuzzy garbage body language cues. If I just say sit, my dogs are going to look at me like I'm an imbecile because they have no idea what sit in the absence of all that body English means. It has no meaning for them. And so I'm a, I'm a big believer and I've always taught all my students this is we have video cameras in our freaking phones. There's no excuse anymore for not setting up a tripod, spending 10 seconds. I, you don't have to post it on Facebook to be reamed by strangers. You can look at it yourself and delete it. And, but look at it and say, well, did I nod my head like, like a little mechanical doll when I say down? Do I lift my hand every time I say sit? Do I do any number of weird wonky things when I say stay? Not because you know, you're like, oh, I don't compete with my dogs. What does it matter? It matters if you have your hands full of, of groceries and you need your dog to do a behavior and you just need to use the verbal cue. Or if you're out of sight and you need your dog or out of, they can't hear you. You know, say you're, you know, you and your dog at a rock concert. That happens all the time. And, you know, ACDC's blasting. They can't hear you. They're like, what, what? And then you can use your hand signal for sit. And they're like, oh, I should sit at the rock concert because I'm really old, decrepit. Sorry, I just went to an Eagles concert and no one would stand up. I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with you people? <laughs> So anyway, um, so that's been my big focus recently on, on, on building those foundations. And the more you get into training, training, the more you ask of your dog, the more you'll find out how important those foundations are. But even for the most basic things, you need some level of foundation. And it's not the sexy work. Mm -hmm. That's the problem with it, at least for me, because I'm like, okay, I'm bored with this. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I think a really important one for pet dog owners is building, especially with young dogs, but any dog, some of some behavioral type foundations. Yes. So for example, you know, that maybe you put down a food bowl and you walk up and from three feet away, you toss something higher value into the food bowl and you walk away and you approach right. and you drop something higher value so that us approaching a resource is Doesn't. a fantastic thing. Let's build that foundation. Yes, absolutely. Or oh, not chasing yeah. your puppy while they oh, have something. Let's yeah. not build this game of, of chase and, and add value. All the value you add into a resource by chasing your puppy yeah. and, and creating a dangerous situation where when your puppy does have the thing that could be harmful, now you can't catch them. Well, and they might decide to swallow it in self-defense. Absolutely. I'm going to keep this thing. I'm going to swallow it. And I have, I've had dogs where their resource guarding was so bad that the act of an owner looking at any random object would be enough for that dog to trigger on that object and mm -hmm. now defend it. Yeah. And uh, I always joke, I don't do, shocking, I know Maggie's going to be shocked by this, I don't systematically do that. But, <laughs> but I do, what I do instead is I forget to add the goodies to their bowls. <laughs> and so then I walk around and drop goodies in their bowls. So yes, if my dogs, even even my livestock guardian dog, who of course that is genetically predisposed to resource guarding, they don't resource guard against me. 
at all. And so I, I and I'm very particular. The other thing I'm going to say is, and I tell my people this a lot, I think there's more helicopter parenting going on in dog, dog ownership than there used to be. Maybe with younger, maybe younger people. Who, I'm guilty. Oh yeah, you are. But uh, I'm just ultra paranoid. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I, but there, but I'm seeing it. I think maybe it's a youth thing, where a lot of people were raised by helicopter parents, and we have this aversion to risk. But I'm going to tell you this: not everything your put dog puts in his mouth is going to kill him. Okay. So know your environment. Know what's in your dog's mouth. It's so it's so frustrating to me when people are like, "Well, my God, I can't. I got to get the Kleenex out of my dog's mouth. Why?" Why? Who cares? If it's a, if it's a fight, and he's gonna go to the mat over a pair a piece of Kleenex, walk the hell away. Walk away. Go in your refrigerator. Start noodling around in there. Open a can opener, whatever it is that's gonna pull him away from that Kleenex, and throw steak on the floor, whatever. But there's no reason I do. If my dogs are shredding paper towel on the floor, I'm like, oh, that's a mess. I'm not going to race over. I'm not going to make a deal of it. I'm just going to, next time, I'm not going to have paper towels on the floor for my puppy to access. Wood is almost never going to be fatal to your dog. Like 99% of the time, it's not going to be fatal to your dog. Dead critters, unless you live someplace that uses a boatload of poison. So in cities, I'm wary of dead rodents because of the toxins that are affiliated with that. But bird, you know, window strike birds, they're not going to die. They're, they're going to be totally fine. So... Yeah, you're welcome to get it out of, your mouth, out of their mouth, but don't flip out, freak out, add value to the object by racing over there going, oh my God, and prying their heads open and reaching into their gullet and pulling it out. Because it freaks them out, they get scared. And then what happens is that fear translates to the next time they get something and they're kind of worried that you're a savage and a psychopath and you're going to come running over and jerk their mouth open. So all of these foundation behaviors set the stage for behaviors that come after and the lives that we ultimately live with our dogs and there no matter how advanced a trainer you are and maybe the top of the top maybe Ivan Belovinov maybe Susan Garrett maybe those people don't have holes in their training but the rest of us normal people we get to an advanced level with our dogs and we're like oh shit (laughs) I should have put that in my bad and then we either live with the outcome or we have to go back 15 steps and fix it and that is a nightmare so kind of know the pieces that you need to have. And again, this part of this comes with just living with your dogs. But this is also where trainers are kind of handy to have around is, is we're going to kind of recognize what some of those things are. But anyway, that's, that's kind of my take on foundations. They're very, very important. They're very, very boring. Make them as fun as you can. There are great ways to make them fun. I love tr- working like, as an example, working the Zen bowl with a toy is so much fun. Once they get it, it's, it's a super sexy behavior because, you know, dogs healing, it's all beautiful. And you're like, get it. And they like fly out to get the thing. And it, you, it's really lovely looking training, but the, the work in the middle is work. So, you know, that's the painful part at the beginning. But I, I think it's, it's way more necessary than I think a lot of us lazy trainers, myself, um, put into it. Anything you need to add? No, love it. Awesome possum. Yeah, so important. Okie dokie. We unfortunately are letting Maggie leave. She's going to run back to Reno without us. It's really selfish of her, but we're hoping we're going to get her back, at least on the phone. 
And if you like this podcast, please like, share, rate, review, and check us out on Facebook, uh, Dog's Best Life on Facebook. We try to post videos and whatnot on there. We're not always good at it, but if we have more eyes, we'd be more excited about it. Have a good one and happy training. Thank you.